In this episode, we'll discuss the first part of behavior modification in treating aggressive dogs, your dog. You've got the basics now, and let's move forward with your knowledge. In the last episode, we talked about handling skills and how important those are, and hopefully you got that video from me and saw it. If you haven't listened to that episode and certainly haven't seen that video, please do so. It's essential preparation for what we're going to be doing as we move forward. It would probably be beneficial and really necessary if you listen to all the episodes up to this one in preparation to get the total context and understanding of what we're doing here. At the end of the episode today, you'll have a better understanding of these things. The three variables used during behavior modification, the role of markers or clickers in behavior modification. Some of you have used those before, and we use them in behavior modification too. And the importance of proper treat delivery when doing behavior modification, pairing it with a clicker. And we'll also cover a couple of special tools and equipment that we talked about also in prior episodes. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes, though, at the start of this episode to discuss a really troubling dog bite situation that happened last month in Jefferson County, Colorado, at Home Depot. It, it just really talks to how or speaks to how casual and uninformed behavior modification for aggressive dogs by people who, I don't mean to be blunt or harsh here, who don't know what they're doing, how dangerous this can be and how hard it is even on the dog. It makes the dog worse. It puts the people in very serious situations, as you'll see when we talk about this here in just a minute. It just points out that we have to do this kind of behavior modification in a smart and safe and knowledgeable way. Hi, I'm Scott Schaefer, and you're listening to the Dog Aggression Answers Podcast. I've worked with thousands of aggressive dogs and their owners, and I'm certified by two international certifying organizations in dog behavior. In this podcast series, I'll explain why your dog is acting aggressively and provide recognized science-based answers, things you can do to make things better. Understanding and addressing your dog's aggression will make living with your dog better and, let's not forget, improve your dog's life too. Last month, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode in Jefferson County, Colorado, there was a bad dog bite incident. A large multi-breed dog, I can't really tell what kind of breed it is, looks like it might have I don't know, some lab in it, some pit in it. I don't know. It looks like a multi-breed, but it's a large dog. Hard to guesstimate the weight, 70 pounds-ish, maybe around there, but it's a large dog. I'll put a link, by the way, to this article in the show notes so you can read it yourself if you'd like to. What was happening, and I've seen this so many times, it was just interesting to see it portrayed so accurately in a news article. The dog owner, along with a dog trainer, was trying to, and I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to, was trying to, quote unquote, socialize the dog. And I hate when people use quotes like that. But in this case, you just have to emphasize that. They are trying to socialize this aggressive dog. The dog was in a muzzle. They were using dog treats. And the dog trainer was really thinking in the right direction and the dog owner that they needed to work through some of these fear issues by exposure but the execution was absolutely horrible, dangerous, as I said earlier, making the dog worse. You just can't 
take a dangerous dog, a large dog, into a store with a muzzle on and a handful, this is what they were doing, and a handful of treats and going up to random people and saying, oh, by the way, my dog, we're trying to make him friendly with everybody. Would you please give him a treat? Would you please do this? And just like you don't take someone who's afraid of heights to the top of the Empire State Building to get used to heights, you don't throw aggressive dogs into situations like this. If you have a kid that is terrified of heights, you don't just take them up to the top of the Ferris wheel. You slowly get them used to this. And that's what we have to do with dogs who are fearful of people. And that's, as we know, is the main driver of this kind of behavior is fear. I find that socialization of dogs is probably one of the least understood and misapplied concepts by dog owners and many dog trainers. It's just so much more than just a brute exposure to the trigger. It has to be systematic desensitization, preferably with counter conditioning. And that's, that's just good behavioral science 101. As we move through the episode today, you'll see why forcing a fearful dog like this up to somebody to give them a treat, why it's so dangerous. It's called threshold distance. And we'll talk more about this here in just a minute. I think it's interesting to note that the dog had a muzzle on. Just think about that for a second. They're taking a dog into Home Depot, which, as most everybody knows, allows dogs. Maybe not in the future, but they did. And with a muzzle on. What does that say? (laughs) This dog is so dangerous that we can't get near to people without a muzzle. And I would be curious to know, and it's it's not available in the article, be curious to know if they're having the the random customers in the store give treats to the dog through the muzzle or if they took the muzzle off. And my suspicion is that they absolutely had taken the muzzle off or the dog had gotten the dog off. By the way, muzzles are not 100% foolproof because what ended up happening is that the dog seriously bit a random customer in the store and then the owner and the dog trainer ran out and bit the customer, by the way, in the face, which is a real common target for aggressive dogs. It's a large dog, very serious injury to the face, and the dog owner and dog trainer, and I just think this says so much, they fled the store. They don't know, at least as of this moment, they don't know who it is yet. They're trying to find the dog owner and the dog trainer. But the fact that they did something so careless, someone was seriously injured, an innocent person at the store, and then they fled the scene. Just really bad. In the legal cases I've participated in as an expert witness, so many of them start just like this, with a dog trainer or dog owner thinking it would be a great idea to give their dog, quote-unquote, socialization like this, and they end up with very bad endings. I'll remind you of this in every episode. If your dog is significantly aggressive to dogs or humans, especially, of course, human-aggressive, Please work with someone who is a certified dog behavior consultant. Work directly with them. Let's continue our discussion about behavior modification by talking about the first steps of beginning to actually start behavior modification. There are three primary variables that we use during canine or dog behavior modification. There are more, but these are the big three. The first one, which is by far the most important, is distance. In fact, if you go to a seminar on dog behavior where there's a lot of folks like me in the audience, you'll hear this term 
threshold distance 50,000 times. And it's so important when it comes to behavior modification, especially with fear issues like this. It's also called the flight distance. What it is, is the distance that the dog needs to feel safe. So let's just, let's just use this example. Your dog is walking down the street on leash, and he sees a dog coming toward you. And it's a dog that he doesn't know. They won't do this with dogs that they're real familiar with because they're not afraid of them. So this would be 99.999% of the dogs in the world. Your dog sees this other dog and immediately becomes a little defensive, thinking, uh-oh, I'm kind of scared of these dogs. I don't like this, so I'm going to, at a certain distance, when I don't feel safe, I'm going to start doing these aggressive behaviors to scare, quote-unquote, the dog away so that I don't have to deal with them. And of course, what's crazy about this, you'll walk past that dog The dog will disappear again to your dog, and your dog will think, wow, all those aggressive behaviors, that offensive defense, boy, that's really working, and that's called reinforcement. That's why these behaviors always get worse, just 99% of the time get worse over time. And we call that threshold distance, that's our primary name for it, and when we go over that distance, which means where that distance is smaller than what the dog would like it to be, That's called going over threshold, and that's not where we want the dog to be. And what they're doing is they're panicking. When your dog is acting really aggressive like this and lunging toward the other dog and so forth, they're panicking, complete with all the adrenaline and the tunnel vision and all that kind of stuff. This is not good. So we are making the dog actually worse. We're conditioning the dog in the wrong direction. And this threshold distance is super important that we pay a lot of attention to it and stay less than that much. Or what I mean is keep a distance that's greater than what the dog requires. People ask me all the time, well, these threshold distances, Scott, do they, are they always the same or, or do they, they seem to change with the type of dog and so forth? Absolutely. Your dog, your unique dog will be triggered differently by different dogs. However, I have found that all in all, these threshold distances are pretty reliably the same over time on average, and they're very predictable distances. Your dog is panicking. We're going to play with that distance in behavior modification. That's our main and primary variable is that threshold distance. See, I've said it already a whole bunch of times. I told you it'll come up a million times. The next one I want to talk about, the three variables, that the primary variables we use during behavior modification is vision. This is, please remember this, this is primarily a visually triggered issue. Yes, there are some dogs, the smell of another dog, the sound of another dog might get them going. But I'm telling you, it is almost exclusively and primarily seeing the dog is the problem. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is when we get in a situation, and we'll we'll talk more about this, when we get in a situation where we can't get enough distance from the trigger to keep the dog sub-threshold, then what we'll do is block the dog's vision. And I find that a lot of dog owners have figured this out on their own, and and hooray for them. That's really great. What does that mean in practice? You're walking down the street, your dog sees a trigger, starts to react. You realize, I can't get enough distance away from this this trigger to keep my dog sub-threshold. 
So the people, and one of the techniques, the people will move their dog behind a parked car and block the dog's vision to the trigger. And I'm telling you, it almost instantly stops the reactivity or greatly reduces it, especially if you catch it early on. If you wait till the dog is really gone over threshold and is really acting aggressively and so forth, then it's not as effective because why? The adrenaline has pumped into that dog's system and now it's kind of hard to get it to calm down. But it, boy, if you can get that dog behind a bush, wall, shrub, fence, parked car, and he can't see the dog walk by, even if it's fairly close, not much is going to happen. That's a pretty reliable thing. How about, though, if there's not a barrier available, what are you going to do? Well, you could always try to beeline it out of there. But if that's not possible, use your body. Step in front of your dog, your legs together, with your rear end pointing to the trigger as the trigger moves by, and just cradle, you know, kind of gently but firmly, cradle your dog's head into your legs or your, or your stomach if it's a large dog. Don't allow them to see the other dog. One trick that I use that works pretty well is to take a treat and hold it at their nose so it keeps them pointing into you and don't give it to them. Just make them kind of fight to get out of your hand as you kind of pivot around with your rear end pointing to the trigger until they're far enough away. So that's another technique you can use there. Another tool that we use, and I'll talk about this in a second, is the thunder cap. The thunder cap, which we talked about in a prior episode on equipment, helps bias some distance. Okay, I really, I should say doesn't bias distance. It helps reduce the distance. The last variable and the one that is really a lot of people miss this one. And, the, and by the way, these are all variables that are relevant when your dog is on the leash, when you're out on the street walking your dog. The distance, the line of sight, and the speed. This is one, I have to tell you, the importance of speed took me many, many years to realize how important that is. It's very nuanced and subtle. It's the importance of having a constant speed. What do I mean? Give me an example, Scott. A dog owner is walking their reactive or fearful dog, aggressive dog, toward a trigger, human and or dog. And they see their dog start to react a little bit. And of course, the owner is nervous too because the owner goes, oh no, my dog's going to start reacting like this. It's going to be embarrassing. Oh no. So the owner's kind of getting nervous too. And what happens, the owner slows down. They, They, oh no, they try to unconsciously kind of slow the approach a little bit. Well, your dog picks up on that. These are called behavioral cues. It's very important that you just keep walking at the same speed. And we'll talk about what you're going to do. Not just keep walking. We're going to talk about some techniques in upcoming episodes. But first thing to do is don't change your speed. And you know from the handling skills video, not to start micromanaging the leash either. But keep your speed constant. However, we can use speed in another way. This is kind of a little bit of a pro tip. We can use speed also to bias a little bit of threshold distance. If we speed up a little bit, we can shrink that threshold distance a little bit. We can talk more about that later. Let's talk now about the role of markers or clickers. Most of you are probably familiar or certainly heard of using clickers in dog training. Well, they work really great in behavior modification too for completely different reasons really. But before we talk about clickers, and I mentioned this in the equipment episode, if your dog flinches when they hear a clicker, you don't want to use a clicker. 
you'll use a verbal marker instead. A clicker is a marker. It's a type of marker. An example of a verbal marker would be the word yes. So instead of click, you just say yes. You can use any words you want, but just make sure it's short and concise and easily understood by the dog. The technical description, when we use a marker, we're going to call it the clicker here because that's what most of you will be able to do. Most dogs can tolerate a clicker. I'd say maybe 5 to 10% have a little bit of a problem with it. It's called, the clicker is called a condition reinforcer or secondary reinforcer. I don't want to be nerdy with you on this. Let me give you an analogy of what that means, a condition reinforcer or a secondary reinforcer. Let's use the bonus check. You work for some employer who's generous and you've done a great job. Your boss walks up to you at Christmas time, whatever, and puts a bonus check into your hand. You instantly feel great, don't you? No one had to tell you that something good is about ready to happen. That check has become a condition stimulus or a condition reinforcer to you, evoking a conditioned emotional response, a positive one for you. This is exactly what we're trying to do with the clicker or the verbal marker. Think about it for a second. This is really funny. How much is that piece of paper that check is written on? How much value does that have when you're on a desert island? Zero. None. It's just a piece of paper. Also, you don't even know what the check is for. It could be the, the amount. It could be a dollar or it could be $10,000 or more. You don't know. You just know that something good is going to happen. That's exactly what we're trying to do with the marker. When you're out on the street working with your dog and you click that clicker, they go, yes, something good is happening. I've done something great. I have a good association with this. And actually what we're going to be doing is when your dog looks at the trigger, click. Wow, look, I'm sub-threshold. I'm not panicky because my owner's keeping me at a distance. Click. There's going to be, there's a good association with this thing that I'm looking at and I'm about ready to get a treat. So it's really a, really a powerful tool. Now, here's some homework for you. I want you to condition or charge, that's the term for it, conditioning or charging the clicker in preparation for using it. And the way that you do that, this is so simple. Please don't overcomplicate this. Everybody does. Five to 10 clicks a day or so. There's nothing sacred about those amounts. I want you to click the clicker and give your dog a food treat. The treat that you'll be using when you actually go out in the street and start behavior modification. It's just this simple. Click, hand them the treat or put the treat in their muzzle. Click, gently put the treat in their muzzle. Now, a small little detail here. Hide the clicker behind your back and the treat. You're going to click behind your back and the treat is behind your back. So click behind your back, treat emerges. Click behind your back, treat emerges. And take your time. Click, treat. Click, treat. You're not asking your dog to do anything. No sit, stay, down, come. None of that. Nothing. You're just conditioning or charging that clicker so that when your dog hears it, he knows that something good he feels good that, wow, that's great. Something's good. couple rules here. Never click without a treat ever. Or yeah, just don't ever do that. Never click without a treat. It's just like bonus checks that bounce. If you're, let's go back to that analogy again of the check. If your boss gave you a bonus check and that two or three of those bounced, yeah, they'd be kind of not too motivating after a while, wouldn't they? You'd probably actually just leave your job. The other one is, please do not go 
don't double click. If you click and the dog doesn't do something that you're looking for, but we're not looking for him to do anything, don't click, click. Just one single click and make sure that that's followed by a treat. The importance of proper treat delivery. Have you ever been, of course you have, everybody's had this happen to them. Someone says, wow, this so-and-so, you're a restaurant, for example. This so-and-so is really tasty. Try it. And they kind of smash it in your face, kind of like the groom and the bride at a, a wedding reception. Never is very appealing. Makes you not want to eat. Well, don't do that to your dog. Let your dog come to the treat a little bit. Sort of hold it out slightly ahead of his muzzle and let them come to the treat. So a soft treat delivery. We don't want to make it an, a negative experience for the dog by stuffing it in the dog's mouth. I see people do this all the time. And make sure that you have, of course, good training treats that we talked about in prior episodes and a treat bag. Let's talk about a couple other things as we end this episode today. The first is the muzzle. Always use a muzzle if there is ever any doubt about your dog injuring a human or another dog, especially a human. But let me say this. If your dog is so bad, so aggressive, so fearful, that you feel like you need to use a muzzle during behavior modification exercises, you'll need to really think about where you are with this dog. And you want to be certain that you work directly with a certified dog behavior consultant too. That concerns me when an owner says, well, I just don't feel comfortable or with my dog around another dog or human without a muzzle on. That's smart. I'm not saying don't use the muzzle. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if it's gotten to that point, you might really need some hands-on professional help with this dog. And we want to really be careful just because you have a muzzle that we don't push the dog too close. Just because the dog can't bite doesn't mean it's not having this super fearful response. No, no, no. That's just an emergency tool in case we lose control of the dog or we can't control the situation, such as at a vet's office when veterinary staff are, are examining. The other tool I want to talk about for a second here is the thunder cap that we talked about also in a prior episode. We use this tool, remember we talked about vision earlier as one of the key variables in doing behavior modification? We use this tool to bias a little threshold distance, as we mentioned. It can shrink that threshold distance and allow us to actually work with some dogs. Some dogs, threshold distance is so significant, as I like to say, we have to go to Cleveland to get them far enough from the trigger to keep them sub-threshold. The thundercap, because it's like gauze and kind of turns down that visual stimulus a little bit, lets us get a lot closer. And so we can, in many cases, for the more severe cases, actually do these exercises in a neighborhood, for example. Once your dog gets better and is able to reliably walk past triggers like on the other side of the street, then we take off the thunder cap and we go to stage two. We start over again with these threshold distance exercises that we're going to cover in future episodes. We start over again without the thunder cap this time. Here's what I'd like to do prior to your listening to the next episode. Continue to work on your handling skills, the leash skills, while keeping your dog away from the triggers. We don't want your dog going over threshold. Remember, we talked about that. We don't want him panicking like this. And the way that you can keep this from happening is to keep enough distance. The second thing I'd like you to do is charge or condition the clicker with your dog. We talked about that earlier. Work on gentle treat delivery. 
really getting that click of that treat down, click in the treat delivery. It's nice and smooth. You're not smashing it into their mouth. And it would also be great if you're using the thunder cap or muzzle to start acclimating them to those tools. We want them really comfortable with those tools on, almost like they don't notice them in a way, before we actually start the behavior modification exercises. And in the links I provided in the prior episode named Tools and Supplies Needed for Treating Dog Aggression, I give you some tips on how to acclimate your dog. And really, if I was just to boil those down, it's putting those tools on your dog and taking small walks and getting longer and longer walks going while doing some treat delivery. In our next episode, we'll be discussing getting your dog actually out on the street, doing some behavior modification around the triggers. As always, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate that. If you haven't already, please do me a favor and you a favor and your dog a favor and subscribe to this podcast available on all the popular podcast players. There's a button at the bottom of the landing page on dogaggressionanswers.com if you'd like to leave me a message. And I try to answer all messages and I always appreciate your comments, and your input. Before I sign off, and I always like to sign off like this, I want to remind you that the information presented in this podcast is for educational, informational purposes only. If you have a dog who is really aggressive and dangerous to humans or animals, please work directly with a certified dog behavior consultant who specializes in dog aggression. And always take proper measures to ensure that your dog is never in a position to injure any human or animal. Thank you for joining me today. Before you go, please subscribe if you haven't already. If not for yourself, do it for your dog. If you find these episodes helpful, please leave a review. I'll see you next time as we continue your journey of addressing your dog's aggression. Now go hug your dog.